You are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. God is good. Now let's try that again. That was weak. God is good at all the time. Amen. We have a uh, wonderful service today, and uh, I am uh, proud to be part at the end of the service of uh, to be part of Travis Taylor's ordination service today. Uh, Travis and I went to high school together, and uh, man, I never realized that when I was able to come here at Westfield, I'd be able to be part of his ordination service. So what a great honor that is, and so it's certainly be good. It's certainly good to be in the Lord's house this morning. If you have your copy of the Lord's uh, Word today, we would ask that you would turn with us to John chapter one, verses. 19 through 42. Once again, that's John chapter 1, verses 19 through 42. And we're uh, as we're continuing this study in the Gospel of John, today we're going to look at John the Baptist. And there are many things we could say about John the Baptist. He was a prophet, absolutely. Jesus says he was the greatest of all prophets. He was a powerful, bold speaker who uh, wore uh, uh, camel skins and ate locusts and wild honey. Boy, I'm going to tell you now, he was a tough fellow, wasn't he? Uh, locusts and wild honey is what he ate. He lived out in the wilderness. Some people believe that he may have even uh, lived in some caves uh, at the time. But anyhow, today we want to look at one of the most important things of John the Baptist's ministry was that he was a humble man. He realized that life was not about him. He did not have this Burger... As Darren said, he didn't have the Burger King philosophy. He didn't want to have it his way. Amen. He wanted to do things God's way. He respected God. He loved his fellow man. And that's what made him a powerful man of God. So if everybody would, those who can and are able, would please stand and honor the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. John chapter 1, verses 19 through 42. This was John's testimony. Now remember, last week we were talking about how Jesus is God. He's not a spirit child. He's not, uh, he's not uh, an angel or anything of the sort. He is God come in flesh. The Bible makes it very clear of that fact. He says, This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, the greatest prophet of all time says, quoting Isaiah, I am simply a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah the prophet said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, what then do you, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. 
He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. Now, unloosing a sandal strap is the job of a slave. John the Baptist is saying, this man is so great that I don't even deserve to be his slave, is what he's saying. All this, was, all this happened in Bethany across the river where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me, there comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. He's the same, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. He is God come in flesh. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. Now notice who these disciples are. One's mentioned, the other's not. We're going to talk about that as we go through. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Your kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that you are the great and awesome God. And we know that we serve a great and awesome Savior. And we know that your Holy Spirit is here with us this morning. The Spirit that hovers upon the waters at creation, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the very same Spirit that is here today. And we just simply ask, Lord, that you would just use me as your instrument this morning. I am nothing, you are everything. We ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that we would apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in the name of Jesus we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I've got to give a little disclaimer. I've got to ask a little question. Do we have any telemarketers in here today? Anyone, anyone a telemarketer? Go ahead and raise your hand. No telemarketers? Good. Telemarketers get on my nerves. I can go ahead and say that to them. <laughs> Telemarketers get on my nerves. They call at the most inopportune time. They call sometimes 8 o'clock at night. Do you want to buy so-and-so? And sometimes, you know, there are people you can't halfway understand. I'm no offense to anybody, but, but I know they don't come from North Carolina. Let me just say that and trying to sell me something. A lot of these phone calls actually plug into numbers that look like uh, they come from around here, but are certainly not from around here. Um, Anyhow, <laughs> let me move on from there. So how many of you have ever played a prank on a telemarketer? Anyone? I got a few. few I, I have two. One called, and I said, hello. They gave me the whole spiel, and I say, hello. And they go through, and I say, hello, and they finally hang up on me. You know, <laughs> it works. But anyhow, there was one lady by the name of Jennifer Fulweiler who was in college, and she was an avowed atheist. 
And her friends there with her were avowed atheists as well. And she decided that she was going to play a prank by pretending to be a Christian. Okay, that, that's what she's doing, pretending to be a Christian. And so anyhow, this telemarketer calls and he says, uh, I would like to know if you're interested in buying a, a, a carpet cleaning service. And she says, no, sir, in her best, best Texas draw, she said, that goes against my religion. And he says, well, ma'am, if you don't mind me asking, what's your religion? She says, I'm a Christian. And he says, you are? He said, uh, what church do you go to? She said, uh, the uh, uh, church of the uh, Bible? I go to the Bible church. He says, the one down there in Huntsville? She said, uh, yeah. She said, the one with Pastor Mike? She said, uh, yeah, I suppose so. She, he said, isn't he a great preacher? And so he goes on and talking about how great this church is, and he, he starts testifying to this woman. This telemarketer starts testifying to Jennifer on the phone and just even describing how God had delivered him from his alcoholism, how God had saved his marriage. Meanwhile, she's trying to hang the phone up or trying to get the speaker because what turned out to be a prank is going horribly wrong for her. And at the end of it, he starts bursting out in tears and say, I just want you to pray for me that I would be the best Christian that I could be. She hung the phone up shaking her hand because just it's just shaking all over because she thought to herself, that's the type of person I want to be. Here in my atheism, it's done nothing for me. My worldview has done nothing for me. And here is this man with great humility giving praise to God. He's not concerned about himself. He's not concerned about the things happening to him. He's giving praise to God. And she said because of that, that was one of the things that eventually led her to become a Christian herself. That prank went horribly wrong in one sense, but it went terribly right in another. The humility of a person can do wonders. A humility of an individual speaks great volumes of that person. Amen? If a person is humble, that speaks volumes. And we see that John the Baptist, one of the greatest prophets in history, was one of the most humble men that you would ever meet in your life. In fact, because of his humility, people came to a saving, came to faith to come to know about who Jesus would be. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And so if we want to have a powerful ministry, if we want to have a testimony in this world, we must, like John the Baptist, and Travis, I don't think this is any, any accident. I didn't plan on it working this way on ordination service, but I think it's true for anyone who wants to serve the Lord. We must have humility. If we want to have a place at the table in today's society, we must be humble people. So how do we do this? What makes a humble ministry? Four things. Number one, a humble ministry includes a proper outlook of the self. Notice, John the Baptist is asked by the authorities if he was the Messiah. Now, because of Daniel's 70 weeks prophecy... Individuals knew that this was coming to the conclusion of Daniel's 70-week prophecy and that people were looking for the Messiah. It was time on the prophetic timeline for the Messiah to come. So you had individuals who claimed to be the Messiah. You had one person in Acts who was called Thutis who claimed to be the Messiah, and his ministry came to nothing. You have other individuals who claimed to be something, but their ministries turned out to be nothing. Meanwhile, John the Baptist, he was in a position where he could have claimed to be the Messiah himself. But when he was asked if he was the Messiah, he said plainly, No, I am not. They asked him then, Are you the Elijah that Malachi 4, 5 
claims to be. Now, the way they worded it, Jesus says that John the Baptist did serve in the role of John the Baptist in Matthew 11 14. So, but what, what John is saying is they thought that, that, that uh, John the Baptist was going, I mean, uh, that Elijah was going to be reincarnated in some sense. And so he says, no, I am John the Baptist. I am not the reincarnated Elijah, but he does serve in the role of the pre predecessor of Jesus. But then thirdly, they ask him, from Deuteronomy 18, there is a prophecy looking that the Messiah would be the prophet to come. They ask him if he is the prophet to come, and he says no, and he goes a step farther saying, not only am I not these things, I am so low on the totem pole that I'm not even worthy to untie the sandal of Jesus himself. Now that speaks volumes, friends. You have the prophet of all prophets saying that I am not worthy to untie the sandal of the Messiah. The problem in today's modern church is that we have become boastful individuals. Amen? We decide that we want to have it our way, the way we want to have it, and we don't want to listen to no one or anybody else. Amen? We have a Burger King philosophy where we want to have it our way the way we want it because why? We have elevated ourselves to be in the place of God. But beloved, when we get a proper view of who God truly is, then we begin to realize that we're nothing. Your very existence even right now, if it had not been for God, we would never have even been born. Did you know that? God not only created everything that exists, He sustains everything that exists. Did you realize that if God took His hand off of creation, everything would fly apart at the seams? If it were not for God, you would not be... ...to the level of being God, we do ourselves a disservice... Because a humble person realizes that we must die daily to Christ. He must increase and we must decrease. Charles, Charles Spurgeon once said, It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. Amen? So if we want to have a powerful ministry in today's society, we've got to get the attention off of ourselves and place it to where it truly belongs, and that is at Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something, friends, and I mean this with all my heart. I, I, I pastored, this is what, my fourth church I've pastored. And I've had people come to say, Brian, is that your church? And I'll say to them, no. Because if Westfield Baptist Church becomes the church of Brian Chilton, I'll be the first one to leave. Amen? Come on, don't get quiet on me now. If this church becomes about anyone else outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, we all need to be packing up and leaving. Amen? Because the church is not about you. The church is not about me. The church is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if it becomes about anyone else other than that, it's just a community club with a cross on top. And beloved, I don't want to face God and realize that I spent my life trying to elevate myself when I should have been elevating the Savior. Amen? And I want to just shoot straight from the hips this morning. We preachers are bad about this. Sometimes we don't want to share the spotlight. Amen? Amen? 
Sometimes, I know, listen, I'm a preacher. I'm a grandson of a preacher. I know how preachers are. We don't want to share the spotlight. We're used to, we're used to being in the public eye. and we, we like people listening to us and we, we do all these things. But understand, there's a great danger in that because there have been many ministries that have gone off the deep end that have started out serving Christ the way they needed to, but they got a little bit of publicity. They got a little bit of fame. They had a little bit of things coming their way and they made it about themselves and Instead of the Savior, and they derailed right where they stood. Amen? Amen. So we cannot make this ministry about us. We must make it about the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Number two, a humble ministry includes a proper outlook of service. Did you know that how you treat other people is indicative of how you view God? Amen? How you treat other individuals shows how much love that you have for God. And we're going to look at this because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those are evidences that you have had a real encounter with Jesus Christ. If you exhibit those fruits, we're going to get to that in a moment. But true service is about, a true ministry, true humility is about service. When the Baptist realized he answered the authorities as to his identity, he simply said, I am simply a voice crying out in the wilderness. But look over in verses 35 through 37. Something else happens. Grant, I, this, this blows my mind right here. I've got to tell you, this blows my mind. Look what happens here. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. One of them's named and the other's not. And who's the other disciple? One of the disciples is Andrew. Who's the other disciple? He goes unnamed. You know who it was? He was a writer of the gospel. It was John the Apostle. Now think about this. You have in your church Andrew and his brother Peter, John and his brother James. And do you see what John the Baptist did? He says, look, here's the, here's the Messiah. Go follow him. That's like, how many, anybody play fantasy football? Any, a few? Oh, come on, don't be bashful. Some hands going up here. That would be like trading, I'm sorry, Byron, Aaron Rodgers for a second string defensive tackle. Someone who's going to score you on a good day, <laughs> some good points, as opposed to someone who may score you, what, two? That's what John the Baptist did. John the Baptist, he, he took his very best disciples and says, listen, you're looking for the Messiah. Here he is. Go follow him. Who does that? A man who great, with great humility who's seeking to serve not himself, but he's seeking to serve the Savior. John the Baptist realized that his ministry was not about himself. It was about Christ. J.D. Greer is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. He pastors a church in Raleigh, North Carolina called Summit Church. Had a chance to meet him very briefly. Great man of God. Really nice man. Now, I'm, I'm not a Calvinist nor a Calvinist son, but, but uh, that was notwithstanding, he's a good man. Even though he's a Calvinist, he's a great man. And I, I am one of those Southern Baptists who believe that Calvinists and non-Calvinists can work together, just so you know. Uh, we serve the same Savior. But J.D. Greer recently noted that we as churches spend too much time focused on growing numbers. And he actually asked some at church to forgive him because he was repenting and forgiving him because he said, I have spent too much time focused on building numbers when my focus and my attention should have been growing people in Christ. My focus and my attention should have been serving others as Christ has called us to serve 
It's not about growing numbers for public fame and fanfare, but it's about serving Christ and having Him glorified. Amen? It's about that. So for this ministry to be successful, we can't make it about ourselves. It has to be Christ's church. It has to be all about Him. Number three, a humble ministry includes a proper outlook of the Savior. John the Baptist had a proper outlook of who the Savior was. Baptism was something that was normally done when Gentiles were being converted into the Jewish faith. And here John the Baptist was baptizing everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. And so they come up to him and they say, John, what are you doing? What are you doing, man? Why are you baptizing Jewish individuals? And John the Baptist says, listen, there's a new sheriff coming to town. Amen? There's a new sheriff coming to town. And when he comes, there's a new mode of operation coming around. There's a new, new way, there's a new form, and there's a new format. John was essentially saying that a new covenant is coming, and it's coming through this Messiah. And when he comes, he is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. That's who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God. It's difficult for a person to have too high of a view of oneself when we realize that our salvation is not based on what we can do. How many of you, and I, I've got to make a confession to you, church. I am a person who is by and large an independent person. I'm Southern Baptist, I don't mean that. An independent person. If something can be done, I want to try to do it myself. It's very hard for me to ask help from somebody else. Anybody else like that? It's very hard for me to ask someone else for help. If there's a way that I can do it, by George, I'm going to try to do it. But I have had in my life digestive issues that have at least on two occasions sent me to the emergency room. I remember the first time my son was actually very little at this time. Uh, he had just been born. And I started vomiting. And, and he wouldn't stop. I couldn't stop. This went on for a couple of days to the point that I couldn't hold anything down in my system. I couldn't hold anything down whatsoever. And I was basically getting the point. I said, Lord, if you're not going to make me better, take me on. And I really thought that day was coming, to be honest with you. And so I finally broke down. I don't like going to the doctor. I don't like that. I don't like needles. I don't like jabbing stuff. That's just not my thing. I'm sorry. Ooh, I just the thought of it. I can't even look at it when they take my blood. I have to look. I have to, they take my blood like this. I'm looking this way. I can't even look at them doing it. You know, I just can't. But anyhow, uh, I, it was a great humbling thing for me to say to my wife, Honey, you're going to have to take me to the emergency room because I'm not getting better. And it got to the point that whenever, you know how whenever you wake up in the morning and you drink something cold, you can feel it going all the way down? When they stuck that IV in me and started giving me fluids, I can feel it going from my hand all the way through my system. I had become that dehydrated. I want to tell you something. It's a very humbling thing when you get into a point in your life where you're having to trust in someone else for really your own survival. But Christianity is that very thing. Because we have to trust upon the Savior for our salvation. We can't save ourselves and we never could. For you to be able to save yourself would mean that you would have to live a perfect life from the time that you were born to the time you died, never thinking a bad thought, never doing anything bad, and doing what you're supposed to all the while. One sin makes you guilty of them all, James says in his book. So here's the point. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. It took a Savior dying for your sins and nailing them upon the cross to bring about your salvation. 
So if we understand who Jesus is, and we understand who we are, what do we have to boast about in ourselves? Amen? You say, well, I've worked hard in my life. I've, I've got a substantial whatever. Well, guess what? You're not going to take it with you. When you die, you're going to die the same way that anybody else does. And then you're going to face a holy God who's going to hold you accountable for your actions. Amen? He's going to hold you accountable for your actions just as he's going to hold me accountable for mine. The reality is, is it's only by grace through faith that any of us are saved. So let our boasting be not in ourselves, but let all of our boasting be done in Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Last but certainly not least, a humble ministry includes a proper outlook of the Spirit in verses 29 through 34. Did you realize that the Holy Spirit is very active today? The same Spirit that hovered over creation and brought creation to be. The very same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the very same Spirit that fills the hearts and lives of believers. It's the very empowering thing that makes ministry possible. I'm going to just tell you something. Maybe I should have told you this on my first Sunday. I can't do anything for this church myself. I really can't. I can't make this church grow. I can't do anything to help this church. You know why? Because the power is not found in me. The power is found in the Holy Spirit of God. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit of God, it doesn't matter how many programs we have. It doesn't matter how many things we do. If, we, if the Spirit of God's not in it, He's not going to bless it. Amen? So if we want to see a revival, guess who we need on our side? The Holy Spirit of God because He is the one that brings revival. I can't change the heart of another person. I can't change someone. You can't change someone. It's only the Holy Spirit of God. And bet your bottom dollar He can do it. He can do it. He can do it. The Holy Spirit is the driving force of ministry. When the Holy Spirit comes in a person's life, Jesus says there will be fruit. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. What are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Can we bring this about in our own accord? But the Holy Spirit can. Amen? And I believe when we step in the pearly gates of heaven, we're going to see these things perfected. Perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect patience, perfect goodness, kindness, and so on and so forth. The Holy Spirit is the one that grants spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is also the one who leads a person to salvation. John 16, 8, the Bible says, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is the one who brings salvation. He is the one who changes individuals. He is the one who perfects our lives. It's through the Holy Spirit of God and His power and no one else. I asked Tim Tilly if I could include this in the message today we were at our deacons uh, we were at 13 bones and that was actually the first time I've eaten there and man alive they got me hooked on that now I'm telling you what that's a good place to eat right there Jennifer and I may have to be frequenting that place a lot more uh, but anyhow Tim was telling me about his experiment in making gravy some of you know about this 
He, he told me the story about him trying to make gravy, and I asked him, I said, Tim, was it any good? He said, uh, not really. <laughs> he said it was as thick as molasses. I mean, when you tried to pour it out, it was just ver coming out very slowly. But I can't say a word. You know why? Because when I lived down in Sunset Harbor, someone told me, because I love homemade biscuits. I love, I especially love those big old cat head biscuits, Brian. You know, we and I talked about that. Man, that's good eating right there. But I, I tried, someone said, making biscuits from scratch is easy. It's an easy thing. So I thought, well, I'll try my hand at making biscuits. And so I tried. They were so hard that East Surrey could have played baseball with them. I about broke one of my teeth trying to bite into the blooming thing. It was so hard. Needless to say, something went terribly wrong. <laughs> so here's the thing. With Tim making his gravy, with me making my biscuits, something was missing. And the reason it didn't work is we didn't do something right. The only way we can have ministry go right, the only way we can be blessed, the only way we can see growth, the only way we can see these things come about is for the Holy Spirit to be in it. I of myself bring nothing to the table, but the Holy Spirit of God can. I am like John the Baptist, simply a messenger trying to point people to the triune Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because He is the one who can bring a change. He is the one who can make a difference. He is the one who can bring great things if we'll simply honor Him and trust Him and be obedient unto Him. Let me close with this. One of the great missionaries of the 1800s was one Hudson Taylor. Taylor was a British Protestant Christian missionary who spread the gospel in China and was the founder of the China Inland Mission, now known as OMF International. The story is told of two women in Shanghai who were discussing the topic of pride and began to wonder if Hudson Taylor was ever tempted to be prideful because of his many, many accomplishments. One of the women decided to ask Taylor's wife, Maria, about it. So Maria goes and asks Hudson uh, these questions. She, she asked, are you proud? And he says, proud about what? She said, of all the things you've done. And he says, I've done nothing. The Holy Spirit's done it all. God's done it all. We are simply vessels of God's grace. And so if we want to see something great happen we must all humble ourselves don't make it about ourselves because again I would say to you if a church became the church of Brian Chilton I'd be the first one to leave because <laughs> I know who I am I know who I am I know myself because the church cannot be about you it cannot be about me it must be about Christ God the Father God the Son and God the Holy Spirit about him and no one else and I'm going to leave you with three things, and we're going to move on to a brief invitation and then into the ordination service. A proper understanding of God brings humility. One of the guys in my class this past week, his name is Andrew Prout, and he works in, the, in the Munich, Germany. Uh, he lives in Munich, Germany. He and his wife do, and they have a ministry there in Germany uh, to the refugees who are coming into um, the... Um, to the area. He's actually been threatened by many groups and everything. But in his church, there are many Christian scientists and some who actually work at CERN. You know that big round thing they have in Germany? The, what do they call it? A particle accelerator or something like that. Some of the people who work in that actually attend his church. And they, they were talking about 
the universe and how amazing the universe is, he says that we know of at least ten dimensions. Ten dimensions in the universe. And at the tenth dimension, physics itself begins to fall apart. And they said that they believe that there are as many as 27 dimensions in the universe. And he says, Brian, you know what that tells me? He says if there are 27 dimensions, God has to be in 28. Because God is always greater than however many dimensions there may be, God is always greater. So when we think about how small we really are on this planet, in comparison to how small we are in the solar system, in comparison to how small we are in the galaxy, compared to how small we are in the universe, we are even smaller compared to God. So when we put things in perspective, remember who God is and remember who we are. And as I've told you before, there are many people who say, well, I'm going to go up to God and I'm going to give Him what for. Anytime you read in the Bible someone who personally encounters God, it says they become as dead men. That means they pass out. Even the biggest and best of them. They pass out before a holy and awesome God. Number two, a proper understanding of salvation brings humility when we realize that we cannot save ourselves. Our salvation comes in and through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. It's Jesus plus and minus nothing. It's Jesus only. Number three, a proper understanding of ministry brings humility when we realize that this ministry is not about us. It's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ and Him only. This has to be His church. He owns the copyright. He owns everything. He owns the copyright to His church. He is the head of the church and we must submit and surrender unto Him. So focus on God. And don't focus on the self. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want to simply ask that you would come down today. You may not have another opportunity. I, we met with uh, some friends the other day and heard of some individuals. It seems like every time you turn around there's someone else who has cancer. It's, it's unbelievable. There's someone else who has th these different issues going on in life. We're not promised another day, friends. This life is simply but a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. So if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. You may not get another opportunity. And it's just as simple as that. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're downtrodden with some type of issue going on in your life. And maybe you just want to lay it at the foot of the cross. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of this church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and in your life, we just encourage you to come as the Spirit leads. The kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we know that you're everything and we're nothing. And we thank you so much for the opportunity to even have your Spirit, to have your Word, to have the ability to preach your truth. We thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much that you were willing to bear our sins on your back on Calvary's cross so that we would have life and have eternity. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your love and compassion. And we just ask, Lord, that you would have your will and your way in this time of invitation. For in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus of Nazareth, we ask all these views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The 
Bellator Christie podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Kayla Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristie.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Who's the fly?